Man, isn't God good? Isn't God good? Amen. I know they finished early because I ain't preached in two weeks. Trying to give me a little more time. Trying to get out before they die of starvation. Well, I, I haven't got to preach in a couple of weeks on this stage. Uh, well, I guess I did kind of preach the last Wednesday night, but I have had a release valve in the biblical overview class, which uh, I, I thought went, went very well. And though we kind of looked into some deep concepts and some uh, principles and doctrines and theologies and things like that, I think overall it was a very, very uh, productive class, and uh, I was excited for all that we learned. And it's absolutely relevant to what we're reading now. And so I'm coming in back into Revelation and uh, trusted uh, Dustin and Robert who are um, in the process of uh, being tested uh, for eldership at the Well Church and uh, doing a fine job there. Uh, trusted them with the text of Scripture because that's part of the qualifications of being an elder in a, in a church is that you must be able to teach uh, the scriptures that you must be able to teach. And so uh, we saw that. I think that they did a phenomenal job, both of them. You know, what God did was, was great. <clears throat> and one thing that I will say on that same line is it's very rewarding to me to be able to know. It's very comforting to me as well to be able to know that if something were to happen to me, uh, whether it be, you know, something that happened to me, whether I got hurt or something like that, or if God called me away, not that I ever see him doing that. I, I, I love this place and I see myself here for a long time, but if something were to happen, we're not promised tomorrow, if something were to happen to me, I think that we would just continue right along. I mean, I hopefully y'all would be, you know, upset a day or two, but you know, that we would, that we would continue right along in the word of God, because it's, it, this, if that shows you anything, when Robert Farmer brought the word last week and he laid it down and six souls got saved and six people rededicated their lives, it shows you that this isn't built around Brandon Poirier. Praise God. Praise God. You didn't have to clap so loud on that, but I understand. No, praise the Lord. It's not about me, but it's about the gospel. When the gospel goes forth, man, people respond. When Jesus Christ be lifted up, uh, he draws all men to himself. And so we're excited about that. So I'm very thankful for that. And watching those guys, I'm really, I'm really impressed of what God's doing. Well, I'm going to pick up this week on uh, Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 12. I will touch a little bit on what they looked at because this starts what is known as the judgment sequence or the judgment cycles. And what we see in Revelation is the same judgment recapitulated or re, uh, rehashed or repackaged uh, uh, re, uh, several different times in several different ways and presented to us. And so John often writes that way. He writes that way in the Gospels. He writes that way in his letters. He writes in a circular type way. So he'll say one thing, and then he'll say it again in another way, and again in another way, and again in another way. And, and you must you know, wonder, did John think that his audiences were a little bit slow? You know, because he oftentimes repeats himself so many times. And go read his gospel. He says the same thing over and over and over again, but just in different ways. And so finally, I think he's hoping his readers will finally go, God's hoping the readers will finally go, oh, I get it now. I get it now. And so this is the first in a sequence of judgment, uh, uh, judgment scenes that we're going to look at. And, and this, one are the, this one is the seals, but we'll also see bowls. We'll see trumpets. And, and all of these are speaking of the same sequence of events in a different way. And each time we get a little bit more revelation, we get a little bit more insight, a little bit more information about what's going to happen in those end times. And not just the end times. We need to understand 
that a lot of people read Revelation as if it is a future-only book. But we know from chapter 1 of Revelation that it's not. It is an absolute, uh, it's an absolutely here and now as well as a futuristic book. So when John tells us in chapter 1, and I'm trying to kind of set the scene for you of this judgment scene, uh, John sets the scene for us in chapter 1 when he says, I, your brother and partner, partaker, in the tribulation and in the kingdom is telling us that he is, even in his time, already in the tribulation. Okay, Now that tribulation is heading for a climactic end. And what's going to happen is it's going to get worse. It's going to, be, it's going to unfold in a greater way. So it's kind of expanding like this until one, at one place it's, it's almost like uh, you ever been pumping up a tire on your car or you ever been pumping up a balloon and you're just going like this? Yeah, that's almost like what it is. Reality is actually doing that right now. And I think you see it in the U.S. And, 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 and let's, don't, let's don't play any games. You know, people be like, oh, two, you know, Y2K, it's coming to an end this year. Nobody knows the time and the day. And everybody's like, we're in the end times. Well, they were saying that 300 years ago. They were saying it 800 years ago. They, we don't know. You don't know. We don't know. As a matter of fact, it's so, uh, 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 such a mystery that the Scripture says that only f the Father in heaven knows, that the Son doesn't even know the time. And that, so here's the big idea. It's not about can we predict when it's going to be. It's about are we ready whenever that might happen. So it's about being ready, okay? So we're in the tribulation. It's going like this. It's going like this. It's going like this. I've heard uh, stories of people working in at tire companies and, and tire repair places of putting air in a tire and the tire be a faulty tire or maybe just the compressor put too much air, maybe it was strong, I don't know. But I've heard stories, horror stories, of tires blowing up in men's faces and really, really wounding and hurting them. Why? Because they weren't ready. Now, I'm sure in the history of tires, there's been somebody who was like, you know, putting, putting air in, and he knew that the tire had a bad place, and he was ready, and it blew, but it only just barely hurt him. He was affected by it, but it wasn't the same. Why do I say that? Is that we need to understand that those who are believers in Christ and are aware of the Word of God and receive the warning passages and all the teaching that is in the Scriptures, we live life in a different way than those who are in darkness. We don't just walk around, you know, la-di-da, you know, just no, no guard up, we're not ready, and just bam, it hits us and it takes us out flat. No, we, we walk in the protection of Christ. We walk with opened eyes, with unveiled faces that are being more and more unveiled as progressive sanctification carries on, that we are getting more and more ready as we become conformed to the image of the Son. And so, therefore, when that time hits, whenever that might be in our lifetime or the, or the next generation, whenever that might be, that we are ready and we are preparing the generation that God has entrusted to us, that they would be ready, and not only that, that we are teaching them how to teach others. So it's disciples making disciples making disciples that we are raising up. See, there's where the kingdom is as well. Because what John says is, I am a fellow partaker, a partner in the, the tribulation and the kingdom. See, so as the tribulation gets more intense and more intense, going to this climactic stage where it's going to explode and kill everybody that's not born again by the blood of the Lamb, that we are, the kingdom's growing too. 
The kingdom's growing as well. And we are to be the mouthpieces. You remember in the, in the throne room when the glory of God is radiating, it radiates in and through the elders who are seated around and through all creation. So we are called ambassadors, those who would seek to subdue the earth and rule over it and lead the earth and, and grow it and fill it and multiply, that we, in similar way, as children of the king, are called in order to reach the people of the world and build the kingdom of God. So really, what I preach, what, what the gospel is about, is not so much about you just being saved and being okay. It's about you being transformed and being a soldier for Christ to recruit more soldiers for Christ. So we are to be moving and advancing. Now what we see here in chapter 6 is the, is the beginning of this, let me see how to say, it's a description of the tribulation process that finally leads to a climactic judgment scene where the final judgment of God called the day of the Lord or the day of God explodes and kills everyone that's not covered in the blood of the Lamb, all those who are found to still be sinners. So the part that I've been entrusted with is the final judgment scene, the six, well, leading up. This is the beginning of the final judgment scene, the sixth seal, which opens up to the seventh seal, which would be the end of the end. Let me read the text. Let's stand to our feet, and then we'll start to unpack a little bit. <clears throat> chapter 6 starting in verse 12 when he opened the sixth seal i looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand may god bless the reading and the hearing of his word you may be seated well i will do my best to get to chapter seven today because i think we can because what we need to realize is is this is a summary statement of a lot of events this is meant to show us in figurative language what the end will look like and what we are to expect. Because when we, when we read the Olivet Discourse or Matthew chapter 24, when we read in Luke chapter 23, 1 Thessalonians, when we read in the other places of Scripture where it talks about this, this eschatological end or these end times or these, this day of judgment, this, this end where it's all going to blow up, it's all going, the wrath is going to be poured out and the church is going to be saved from that final day when we read this what we're what we're reading what we're uh, hearing is is that we are to be ready when the trumpet sounds we are be, to be ready to see the king return and to go with him now there are several questions that surround this idea of rapture and second coming and i think that this is what when i talk to people this is what they want to hear about you know, when, when, is, when are we going to get raptured? Y'all, who all has seen the Left Behind movies? Okay, I hope y'all don't get your doctrine from there, because in my opinion, they're all jacked up, all right? It's not, I, it, I can't find it in the Bible, but we're going to talk about that in a second, okay? 
So just forget all of that that she's saying or either just chalk it up to bad theology. But here we go. So what we know is, is that there is a tribulation going on. There is, there is, there is, there's war already. There's famine already. We see earthquakes. We see all these things. And in, in Matthew chapter 24, he says, when you see all of these things, you are seeing the beginning of the end. Okay. And so we, we see in this uh, section right here, he says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood <clears throat> and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. So the, the earth is being overwhelmed. And up to this point, there's already been, if you remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which uh, Dustin spoke of, these are horses of and kind of plagues of or seals, judgments of conquest, bloodshed, famine, and then final death. Conquest, bloodshed, famine, and then final death. And then we see, so all of this is being put together, we see this, these plagues and these troubles and these, this conquest coming from the Antichrist. If you remember the white horse, and Robert did a good job in painting that picture because it couldn't mean Christ because every other place, white is meant to signify purity and righteousness. But this is a this is an antichrist. So he comes looking really good, but in the end, he proves to be destruction. In the end, he proves to be wrong. And we see this prophesied over and over and over. So we see this antichrist come where he will deceive the nations, and that will bring about bloodshed and conquest and this, this warping of reality, and then famine ensues. Now, all of this lines up perfectly because if you remember what I told you when he was writing to the churches, okay, let's bring it into a realistic perspective perspective and a practical perspective. As these end times get, get stronger and bigger and greater, and do you, are you witnessing it right now? We've been witnessing it forever. Is, is things getting progressively worse, even if by a little bit at a time? Yes. But is the kingdom of God becoming more distinguishable as we go on? Yes. Why? Because the more worldly they get, the more true Christians stand out. Because they don't compromise. Do you remember what the books written or the letters written to the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira? Do you remember what they were about? What were they about? They were about compromise. They were about staying faithful to the king. They were about enduring to the end. They were about being so committed to Christ Jesus that the, that the times in which you lived, you would be cut off from doing business, that you would experience famine, that you would experience uh, 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 um, poverty because you would not be acceptable to the world. So this is redescribing a lot of what is already going on as he talks about conquest, uh, uh, bloodshed, and famine, and then final death. So chapter 7 and 8 speaks of this final death where it comes in and just wipes out everything. But we're in the beginning phases of this right now. Now, this sounds like some conspiracy stuff, but I'm telling you that the scriptures are very clear that we're going to go through this tribulation, and John, all the way up to this point, has been consistent to do one thing. He's been consistent to do one thing, and that is, is to drive you and preach the gospel in order to what? Sustain you through your suffering. Because suffering's coming. If you are sold to the king, now you can, you can do away with a lot of the suffering if you will just denounce Christ and compromise with the world. You can kind of lighten the load for a little while. Until Christ actually shows up and until he sends the greater judgment. But for all of those, 
who are sold out to the king and are set apart for the king, your tribulation, your persecution is going to get worse and worse and worse. But what John continually says is, is that Christ is more. Christ is better. Look to Christ. He will sustain. He's the only giver. He's the only one. He is your only hope. So that's where we are. It says, he opened up the sixth seal. I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. So when this when this tribulation comes, remember what we've said. We've said when this tribulation comes and is already here, the tribulation hits, and when it shakes the person, it will reveal exactly who that person is. So if you remember, the gospel is, is made for two things. Does anybody remember what the two things are? The gospel is made for two things. One, obviously, is for salvation. The gospel is a power of salvation to anyone who would believe, Romans chapter 1. Two, it is judgment on those who will not believe. The author says that it would have been better for you not to have ever heard this than to have heard it and disobeyed. So it is judgment. And the same gospel, who, and the same gospel in one, per, one person's nose is the, is the aroma of life. And into the next person's nose, it is the stench of death. It is the stench of death. My question to you is where are you right now? Where are you? As we continue to come up under persecution, you say, well, I'm not persecuted at all. I didn't say it. Those who are for Christ, those who are loving and in love with him and not just doing church, not just doing church. You see, we go to so many churches around. We go to so many places of worship, and we do this thing called church, and we go in, and we come out, and we go in, and we come out, and we're not affected by the power of the gospel. We're not affected by the Holy Spirit. It hasn't taken root inside of us and coming out every orifice that we have, breathing out the spirit of life, the spirit of God everywhere that we go, impacting people with the gospel. But we just walk around and we do life and, and we come under persecution and we, oh, I'll make it through this one, but we never turn to Christ. We're not being used by the power of God in order to transform those around us. We're still stuck dealing with our own problems because we're not living in the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, if we preach the true gospel, then the true gospel says, look, I'm not preaching to you so that you would be okay. I'm not preaching to you that you would be okay. I'm preaching life, that you would rise up and that you would be a powerful force in the world for God to transform others. You see, that's evangelism. That I would come to you or you would come to me in my brokenness, in my broken state, and you wouldn't say, look, if you'll do better, Jesus will love you. Or as long as you're doing this and doing that, God's got a, God's got a place for you. But that... In Christ Jesus, you can and will move mountains. See, that's the, the Spirit of God. You, you say, how you get that in this text right here? Because the true believers stand apart. And I'll go to a text in just a second that says, in that final judgment, the church will, the church will, all of those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, they will be drawn up out of this, but only so that they can be part of the final destruction. Where are you? Where are you in life? What, 
Are you being used by God? And I'm hearing my own voice right now. Are we being used by God? Do you have any hope? Listen, I preach a message of hope this morning. This is wrath. I don't even know how I got here, but God told me this morning. He said, I want you to preach a message of hope. And what's the hope? The hope is that Jesus Christ will not only save you from this judgment, but that he will make you a powerful agent to snatch other people out of the flames that won't have to experience this final judgment. You see, I believe I'm preaching to a group of people who have been effectually touched and called by the power of God. And I'm calling you from death to life. I'm calling you from infancy to adulthood. I'm calling you into manhood. I'm putting forth a call that says Jesus Christ has died on the cross. He has shed his own blood. His body was broken so that we might be healed. Not just that we might be healed, but that we would be seated in the heavenly places. That we would go to work for the king. That we would live as conquerors more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen, people of God? Amen. It says the sky vanished, rolled up uh, like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You see, this is, uh, if you'll turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 34, this is nothing new. Uh, everybody's been waiting on this for a long, long time now. And at the end of the day, they knew that this was going to happen. But the question is, you are hearing that this is going to happen. But the question is, do you believe the words that are being spoken? And if you do, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to lay down your life before the throne and say, I have no hope but the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or will you stand in in rebellion against God, shaking your fist like you can do something. Check out Isaiah chapter 34, starting in verse, uh, let's just start in verse 1. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling from the fig tree for my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens behold it descends for judgment upon Edom upon the people I have devoted to destruction the the Lord has a sword it is sated with blood it is gorged with fat with the with the blood of lambs and goats with the fat of the kidneys of rams for the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah a great slaughter in the land of Eden. It goes on. I really don't I really don't believe that fear-mongering helps to grow the kingdom. So I could say, you want to go to hell or you want to go to heaven? <laughs> you ever seen that evangelism tactic? You pull the you pull the 7-year-old to the side, 8-year-old, you're going to go to hell if you ain't got Jesus. <laughs> You want to go to hell? Or you want to go to heaven? Heaven, please. Heaven. I mean, come on. What, what idiot? It's like, oh, 
I want to go to hell, you know? Nobody wants to go to hell. The worst among us don't want to. Nobody wants to go to hell. But, but, but does, let me ask you this. If you come to uh, this place known as salvation because you're scared of what will happen instead of because you're in love with the one who can keep it from happening, which is true salvation? We do not preach or threat threaten you with hell in order you to, to get you to go to heaven. We preach Christ crucified, shed his blood on the cross that you would not just escape hell, but that you would live and move and breathe in the one who gave you your being. That Jesus Christ, he doesn't offer you escape from hell. He offers you relationship, a relationship that explodes in intimate love. Ooh. We talked about that a little bit this morning, right? I know all you men know what I'm saying with the little ears covered up in the little ears. We might be talking about something. Just a second. See, Jesus Christ wants to lay down with you. Ooh, some of y'all getting red. Some of y'all getting red. You say, he ain't going to say what I think he's going to say. Jesus Christ desires to be intimate with you. He doesn't want your, obe your blind obedience. He doesn't, he doesn't want to whip you into shape. He doesn't want you to be uh, carry his commands burdensomely. He doesn't want you to turn from your wicked ways because you're afraid to pay the penalty of your wicked ways. Some of you have never heard that before. That's works theology. That's works-based salvation. I'm not telling you to stop doing bad things. You can't. You can't. For real. Like you, I could say like, don't you do that sin anymore. And you're like, okay. And the next day you're doing it worse. You can't. Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't. You cannot please God without faith. But through faith, you will. <laughs> I'm not even speaking in possibilities here. I'm not speaking in, in, in possibilities. I'm not, I'm not speaking in, 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 in what's, the, what, what's, what's the greatest advantage. I'm not talking about that. What I'm telling you is if you don't have Christ, you can't stop sinning and won't. If you do have Christ, you can't keep sinning and will. When the Spirit of God lives in you, you can't help but to start being conformed to the image of the God. Now, you may slip, you may fall, but you will get picked up by the Holy Spirit, and you will be conformed to the image of God by the Holy Spirit, and you will walk according to the Holy Spirit. That's just what you will do. Listen, if you've been wondering why you can't do this and why you can't do that, it's only a spirit issue. You, you don't do because you don't believe, and you don't do more because you don't believe in a greater way. Now, this is not, a, this is not either a... Uh, 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 a word faith thing either. I'm just telling you that the more you press into Christ, the more you understand Christ, the more you walk according to Christ, the more sin just leaves your life. What did we say last week? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? The only possible explanation I can understand to be more than a conqueror is one who wins without even fighting. That's more than a conqueror. You see, because Christ has already won the battle, now you ought to do, you just enter into his victory. I'm telling you out there that I'm not telling you to quit sinning. I'm telling you that you will quit sinning, and you can quit sinning in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I could warn you, and I am warning you, destruction is coming. And if you think that what we just read was bad, that's only a picture of what will happen for all of eternity in the afterlife. Let me make one more clarification, too, is that many people think that, that uh, hell and judgment 
comes from Satan. That the torment in hell is from Satan's hand. How many of you have had that understanding traditionally? It's okay if you have. That's what I thought. How many judgment houses have we been to where Satan was sitting on a throne going, <laughs> right? And he's like, take that one over there, right? How many of you seen that before? Well, that's, that's, what we, that's what we thought, you know? Wrong. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. And in hell, that wrath is poured out in the presence of the lamb. Now, if you thought that Satan, who is a created corruptible being, was good at pouring out wrath or would possibly be good at pouring out wrath, he don't hold a candle to Jesus. You want a warning? There's a warning. Jesus, who is perfect in every way, will perfectly pour out wrath on all of his enemies for all of eternity. He's on the throne there, too. I hated to kind of wreck that for you, but he's in charge there, too. He is the one that pours out wrath. You want a warning? There's a warning. But listen to me. Listen to me. That you can have escaped from this, but not just escape, but you can be those who are set free. Now, he asked a question here at the end. Listen to what he says. He said that the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks. Now, what did he just do there? What did he just do there? What he did was he took every possible a glimmer of hope, and he completely crushed it into fine dust and threw it over to the side. And he said, you've got anything else? He said, he said uh, then the kings of the earth, that would have been the most powerful people, that will be the most powerful people, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, so he says, the kings, the great ones, the rich and the powerful, the generals and the armies, and then he throws this all-encompassing word in there, and everyone else. No matter what you're trusting in, no matter what you're hoping in, no matter what you think might get you through that time, nothing will suffice. Nothing will suffice. He says, all of these, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. But listen, if you watch the text, it says that they are hiding in caves under the mountains, right? But watch what it says in verse 14, right up above that. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. You get the picture? They're like crawling up under the mountain, getting weighed down, you know, trying to get away. And Jesus is like picking up the mountain. I see you. <laughs> That's the picture. That's the word picture here. They're crawling up under the mountains. He's like, he picks up the whole mountain and sets it over here. He's like, you can't hide. You can't hide. 19 says, chapter 19 said that he, 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 treads, the wine, he treads his enemies in the winepress of his wrath. In Isaiah 34, we just read that the mountains flow with the blood of his enemies. So the picture is, he picks up the mountain and reveals them. 
and then steps on them, does like this. And you thought Jesus was a limp-wristed hippie who just loved everybody. <laughs> That's my king, remember? Hey, Revelation 19 says he has fire in his eyes, a sword in his mouth. He's got a, a long robe that's flowing, and it's dipped in the blood of his enemies, and he treads a, the, his enemies in the winepress of his wrath. And on his thigh is written, on his thigh and on his robe is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Like, we see that picture, right? You know the one I'm talking about. You know, Jesus with the really soft face and flowing hair. And he's got that, that robe, that purple robe on, and he's like, blue eyes. Have you ever seen a Jew that looked like that? <laughs> anyway, the Bible says that he had no, uh, he had no, uh, he had no handsome looks that we would even desire to look at him. He was a very plain, ordinary, he was a carpenter. He had calluses on his hands. Look at my hands. I've been working hard this week. I, he got calluses on his hands. You know, he's kind of a, not a very attractive guy, you know, and he's got a tattoo on his thigh, apparently. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just reading the text. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's like a 3D one. It's really not on him, but we can see King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The picture is, is that Jesus Christ is a bad mama jamma who's coming and he will have his way. Now, that's all, the, that's all the warning tied up in here. We're going to see the entire earth and everything in it absolutely destroyed. Completely destroyed. Now, what I want to do is I want to highlight, because next week we're going to get into the 144,000. And I'm, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, so I don't believe there's just going to be 144,000, okay? I understand this as figurative language that will show a bigger picture. We'll get into that. But what, what chapter 7 will do is it'll really answer the question at the end of chapter 6, which makes sense, right? So he says here at the end, he says, uh, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath uh, has come, and who can stand? Huge question at the end. Who can stand? Who can stand? You, need, you should be really asking that question. It should, it should cause in us this, this question of, oh, 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 everything's going to end. He's going to, there will be nowhere to hide. Be, who can stand? Am, am I one of the ones that can stand? Can I stand? Well, we'll answer that in a fuller way next week, but I want to look at a few things here about those who are the elected. Turn. Go back with me now to uh, what Robert preached on, chapter 6, verse 9, and let's look at something here. In verse 9, he said, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, singular voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were, were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, in one way, this is rough. 
This is rough because what was just said is, is that those who had already died in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, those who had already died are looking from underneath the sacrificial altar. They're covered in the blood. They're covered by the altar. Jesus is the high altar. He is the sacrificial lamb. So they're covered by Christ. But now they are in a glorified state with Christ. So sin has been removed. So they can rightly and justly ask, God, when are you going to judge these earth dwellers? When are you going to judge those who have persecuted us and killed us and been unfaithful to you and rebellious to you? When are you going to judge them? And, and, the, and the angel, the, the Lord says, uh, he says, hold on a little while. There's actually some more people like you that have to die. He says, hold on a little while. The number has not been completed of those who must die for my name's sake. So the martyrs aren't done yet, okay? Now, just so you know, you are the martyrs, okay? You are the martyrs. And this is figurative language, so you don't necessarily have to die in persecution, but it's that you lay down your life for Jesus Christ, and you die to self, and you're raised in the newness of life, and you forfeit the things of the world. You die to the world, okay? Now, some it will be literal. There are been many martyrs, okay? But this is, this is those who are dead to the world and alive to Christ. Now, they're not done yet. And so the, the judgment can't happen, the final judgment can't happen until those who are to be martyred and to the elect, that's what I hold in this, in this, in this passage, is until the number of the elect have been set aside for the day of redemption, okay? Now, what that's going to do is, are y'all still with me? You still with me? What that's going to do is it's going to give us insight, one, to who can stand in the day of judgment, and two, who are the 144,000. Because it seems as if in chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, that there is a specific number that he says, look, until all these are in, we kind of have to wait a little while. And that's what he tells them, wait a little while until all these are in. So here's, here's one thing I'm going to spring off of that, okay, is that God knows exactly who is his and we don't. We don't. Every one of you might be a child of God. I, I don't know that. You may be a child of God waiting for birth. I, I don't know. Some of you may not, and you won't ever be a child of God because you won't ever turn from your wicked ways, and you love your sin, and you play games with God, and you, uh, I don't know, what was that in my mouth? I had to get it out. You, you play games with God, and you don't know what, you don't know what you, you, you're doing. You, you go to church, and you, that just embarrassed the hound out of my wife. Just so y'all know. <laughs> but I don't, you know, I'm just a guy. So, so, so you play games with God. And I talk to people all the time. If you don't think this is a reality, this is a reality. I talk to so-called Christians all the time. Now, whether they're a Christian or not, I, I, that's not for me to judge. It's not my judgment. But I talk to Christians all the time. They have no idea what it means to be a Christian. They have no clue. No clue. They just are doing stuff that everybody else is doing. But here what I'm saying is, is that God knows exactly who, are, who is his. And he is coming to get you. There is hope. You say, I'm, I'm weary. I'm weary. I'm tired. He's coming to get you. I, I'm, I'm experiencing trials and tribulation. Hold on because he's coming to get you. And if you lay down your life, here's another aspect of hope in my opinion. If you lay down your life in this life for Christ, he's still coming to get you. And all you're going to do is crawl up under that altar and lay down and rest. You know what? Rest at this point in my life is one of the most glorious realities of the scriptures. 
Amen. All the people with, with, with children stood up and started clapping. Right? Rest is one of the most glorious things. And that's what he just said here. He said a great day of tribulation is coming, but just rest a little while. Just rest a little while. Now, First Thessalonians, and I'm running. Oh, we still got a lot of time. Praise the Lord. First Thessalonians speaks of rest. And he said, I don't remember in First Thessalonians chapter 4 where it speaks of, he says, I don't want you to be uh, unaware, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. We don't grieve like other people. You hear it at funerals a lot. Well, he goes right out of that narrative. Let's just flip over there. We got plenty of time. Man, what happened? Get out. No, we're not getting out early if we don't do that here. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is a good, I was going to go into this anyway, so it would be fine. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet up with the Lord in the air. And so... So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Key words there to look at is the trumpet of God and in the clouds. Now, what I want to point out there is that he says at first there, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are falling asleep. He means those who are dead, right, on this side. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about them. And you hear it all the time at funerals. Don't worry about them. They're not dead. They're just sleeping for a little while. They're with Jesus. We didn't say amen to that. But what we don't even realize, and I've never heard it preached this way, is a connection between uh, Revelation chapter 6 and this text right here, is that not only are they just kind of resting, but they're, they're aware. They're talking. They're, they're in conversation with, with God. They're asking questions like, when are we going to go get them sorry steps? So, you know what I'm saying? they they like, when are we going, boss? When, hey, is it time, boss? You know, they want to go. They want to go. Why? You say, how is it? Well, you remember what David said? David said, I hate all your enemies. We should be rightly asking the question, hold on a second. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, love your enemies. But in Psalm 5, it says, you hate all doers of iniquity. Now, we've got an issue. Either the Bible is contradictory or there's something else going on here. There is a such thing as holy hatred. There is a such thing as righteous indignation. Where when all of the, see the problem with, with hate and anger and judgment is that we can't judge rightly. You're like, only God can judge me. Wrong. I ju you judge every day. Every day you make a judgment. You know, her hair looks bad. You judged. Hey, look at those shoes. You know, you just judged. The question is not about judging. We're commanded to judge, not outsiders. We're not, not people who aren't part of the Christian family. But we're commanded to judge out, uh, insiders, believers. Paul says, if they're outside, what, what, what right does the church have to, to judge the world? What right do I have over unbelievers? But it's the brother that we judge and I command you to judge him why so that we can rightly bring him back in the question is how you judge and so if I see my brother and I judge according to the scriptures and in love I say brother you 
You're not walking according to the scriptures. Let's, help, let's get you back in line with the scriptures. That's the type of judging that we should do. But here what we see is we see that, that, that those who are crying out for, for uh, vengeance, they're crying out for God to take his vengeance. Basically what they're saying in, in a negative form is, God, when will you glorify yourself? Because in love is wrapped up the idea of justice. We have to, we have to preach the truth. If we won't love, everybody's like, well, you can't judge, you can't preach condemnation and judgment and hell and still do it in a loving way. I would submit to you that you cannot be loving without hell. God could not be loving without hell. Can you grasp that concept? Because how loving would it be for rapists and murderers and, and pedophiles and and, and tyrants who have killed whole villages and whole nations? How loving would it be just to let them go? We've got some cops in here. We've got some, well, Keith in here. I don't know. We might have another judge in here. We've got some judges. We've got some cops in here. How, would, how loving would you think the judge would be if he looked and the guy was guilty, had him on camera, knew, had several eyewitnesses? Like, oh, that's okay. How loving would he be? No. Somebody's got to pay for that crime in order for love to be reestablished. It's called redemption. That's why Christ came to the cross. See, God never lets any sin go. It's either poured out in wrath on the final day and all eternity in hell, or it's poured out on Jesus Christ. And you can exchange your sin for his righteousness, or you can pay for your sin in all of eternity. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the nuts and bolts of it. That's the bare bones of it. So here we look and we say, let's get back on topic a little bit. It says, uh, for this we declare you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry uh, of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now let's go over to Revelation again. And we probably will finish a little early today. Check this out. It said, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? He says, hold on just a little while. You see, these are those who are asleep. These are those who are asleep. And they're saying, when are you going to avenge our blood? When are you going to avenge our blood? He said, wait and rest a little while, for there's still a little bit more that has to be done. There are more people who have to lay down their lives. My, uh, my seal, my elect have not been brought in yet. They're still a little bit longer. Okay, then we ask, well, who in that last day, who can stand? That's the question that's being asked. Who can stand in that last day? And the question will be answered in chapter 7, but I'll give you a little hint. You already know that it's those who are in Christ, okay? That's a given. But it is those who are in Christ that will be standing in the last day, and they will have lost everything. They will have given up everything in this world, and they will be so in tune with, so in love with Jesus Christ that the loss of the world will be meaningless to them. Now, let me ask you as a point of clarity and as a, and as a reference on perspective, where are you in your life? Where am I in my life? How serious do you take your faith? 
How serious? Do you truly have hope? Do you truly have hope that in that last time, whether it be you go out here and you get hit by a car and you're taking your last breath, and you really do feel comfortable with the fact that this world was meaningless to you and that Christ was everything? Because according to the Scriptures, that seems to be the measure. You say you're getting too serious, Brandon. I don't know what else to do. I have to test myself daily. Paul says, examine your heart to see whether or not you be in the faith. The love of the world starts to creep in. And all the things that we read about in the letter to Ephesus and Thyatira and, and Laodicea and all these other churches, Pergamum, all the stuff that we read in those letters, you're dealing with it every day. Like that car passes by and you're like, man, I'd like to have that ride. Or, you, you know, I, I, you, you pass by a house, you're like, oh, I need a new house. Or you see some shoes, I need some new shoes. You see, but you pass by on your way to buy the new shoes. I'm getting convicted right now. You pass by on your way to get the new shoes, a homeless beggar who's on the side of the road, and you pass him by with the excuse that he should have got a job, like I've got a job because I'm going to buy new shoes and you're hungry, huh? But in Acts... It says that they were so overwhelmed by the power of God, they were selling their belonging and seeing to the needs of anybody in the place. American church, church, well, Brannon, are you really living out your faith? Does, is your tree known by the fruit that it bears? True, you know, honest question. Honest, another honest question, asking it of myself. If you took out Sunday, would anybody know by watching you go through a reel, not hearing your words, but watching you on a reel, you got seven slots, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, take off the seventh slot and run the reel. Does anybody know you're a believer? Would anybody know? And then the, the honest question is, if nobody has a clue you're a believer, the honest question, the practical, logical question is, can the Spirit live in somebody and be that silent? Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling you to fabricate stuff. I'm not even telling you to go out and do better. I'm not telling you you should be doing this and you should be doing that and, and you should... I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm just telling you what the Spirit does. That's really all I'm saying. All I'm saying is if it's not there, you need to see if the Spirit's there. Because if the Spirit is there, He would be doing it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. That's my worst one, so I don't ever remember it. Hey, listen, the reality is if the Holy Spirit lived in you, those would be the things coming out. And if they're not, I'm not condemning you. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. Turn your life over to Christ so that the reality of the gospel would be made manifest and visible and evident in your life. That you could, you could take out every day but one day and pick a day. You'll see I'm a Christian. You'll see me loving the Lord. You'll see me spending my money for the gospel. Yes, I said spending your money because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You know, would you, buy a, would you buy a $10 meal for the guy that's up the street so that you can have the opportunity to share the gospel? You know what you just did? You spent $10 to share the gospel. 
Would you spend $1,700 to buy a car for a woman so that she could get her children around so that you could look her in the eyes and say, Jesus loves you. You should see what he offers. Would you go without your new shoes so that a little boy might have shoes? You know, all these are just questions that we need to ask. And this is not, again, I'm, see, you, Paul had the same issue. This could be an issue of, oh, he's preaching works. You know, God will love you if you give up stuff. No, nope, that's not what I'm saying. If you've heard it, you've heard wrong. I'm not even telling you to go and start doing those things. I'm saying if you don't want to, then check the heart. This should be what naturally flows out. And if Christ lives in you, you can overcome sin. And you will. I promise. Trust him. He's got you. Some of you have Christ and you're still trying to do it yourself. <laughs> just stop already. And just, just lay it at his feet. And you can rest. Uh, I'll give you one more insight. And if the band wants to come on up, that's good. I'll give you one more insight about this catching up this this rapture i don't really like the word rapture it's not really in the bible that word is is uh it comes from the word in first thessalonians chapter four where it says they're called up in the sky we get our word rapture from that from that word but it's developed this idea that uh this pre-trib pre-mill rapture of the church to avoid revelation has really kind of went down this road of two second comings where Christ raptures the church out and then there's a period of tribulation and then he comes this is just one view and then he comes back a second time so he comes one time to take the church and then there's a period of time then he comes again to take some other believers which I, don't, I just can't find any of that here's here's the big idea you're in the tribulation. You're in the tribulation now. And it's going to get worse. And, and I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just saying read First John. I mean uh, Revelation chapter 1 where John says, my partner and partaker of the tribulation. Now, I do agree that the tribulation is expanding. So is the kingdom. And we are headed toward a climactic end, judgment day, the day of the Lord. And I do, but see, I think what happens is, and we'll expand on this next week. It's going to be really fun next week. That I think what happens is, in a lot of circles, that we don't really study theology, but we like ideas. And so that's an idea that's interesting, right? That's why the Left Behind series, you know, is one of the most famous spread out series of all times. Now, you, you judge for yourself whether, whether that's right theology or not. I'll give you the scriptures. You do it for yourself. But I think what happens is that we, I think we, we mix up the period of tribulation with the, fear, with, with the day of the Lord, with the judgment day. Because we will be taken up into the clouds when judgment day, when the final day, when the day of the Lord comes and everything is destroyed and wiped out, that we will be rescued out of that. And in, we'll get into this in chapter 7 too. The people of God, the full number, I believe that the 144,000 is a figurative number to describe the complete number of the children of God. I'll get into all of that when we get there. But, and, and my view is not the only view. If I had the time, I could lay out all the other views, but I just don't have the time. You're going to have to pick up a commentary. I'll give you my view, and I'll give you a little bit of some other ones. But in my understanding of the text, 144, it, it describes the same group of people twice. 
the 144,000 are is signifying the the complete number of the elect that God knows exactly who are his and then the great army of every tribe every tongue every nation is that same people but they're expanded in a in an innumerable way that you can't even from measure them from front to back left to right side to side up and down and that people is described as an army of the Lord. So here's the way that I understand that thing to, to unfold, is that there's this great tribulation expanding out, and we will all be affected by that. We'll all be affected by conquest and bloodshed and famine. But on that final day, as we've persevered, 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 first there will be a great awakening of the saints that have gone on before, and they will arise first out of the graves and be caught up with Christ. And then all those who are left in that final day, when it's getting so bad, will be called up. But as they're called up they're transformed in the twinkling of an eye first corinthians they're transformed in the twinkling of an eye and they're giving their robes they're given their crowns they're given their swords and they become they indwelt into the army of god as god with his army is coming back down to the earth so in in revelation and in the other the olivet discourse when the son of man comes in the great day of judgment he is coming on the clouds okay where were the believers called up into the clouds as you read this and as it unfolds what you see is the tribulation we're part of that but on the great day of judgment the people of God are brought up in the second coming <laughs> and are part of the judgment of the wicked and the restoration redemption of the new heavens and the new earth people of God are you ready are you ready to take over the world? Here is a practical application. Let's all stand to our feet. Let me tell you this, children of God. I don't believe that this is just a future event. God is doing this now. You are being assembled as warriors for Christ. And that is the drum that we have beat here at the well for the longest time. When I preach, I do not preach with the words of men or of angels, but with the de declaration of God Almighty that says He is raising up an army. He is bringing dead people to life. Not that they would make bad people into good people, that He would make dead people into alive people and that he would put a word in their mouth and a sword in their hand and a song on their lips and a shield around them and he would say go you therefore into all the worlds and conquer it overcome it overwhelm it that you would be more than conquerors through Christ amen let's go let's go listen you want to continue on in the world? That's your choice. You got a choice, sure. You got a choice. Go ahead on. Go out them wooden doors right there. Go out the metal and the glass doors and go right on back out into the world and await hell and condemnation to be poured out on you. But you don't got to. You don't got to. Salvation is of the Lord. And anybody, anybody in the room, that would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he will be transformed. And he will be given all authority in heaven on earth along with Christ Jesus who dwells inside of you. Ambassadors of God. Come forth, children of God. Come forth, you elect. Come forth, you predestined. Come forth, those of you who would choose him today.
For anyone who would choose this day who you will serve, and that be God, you shall be saved. Anybody that chooses him. <laughs> Anybody that chooses him can come. Come, be saved. The altar is open. This front is open. Christ is open. Come, do business with God.